Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to Sunday service. For those who don't know us, I'm Nayaswami Anandi. This is Nayaswami Bharat. We especially want to welcome those of you who are visiting here for the first time. And we're glad to have you here. Also, those of you who are joining us on the internet. We'll begin with a reading from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. And um, these are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's reading is called In Surrender Lies Victory. <clears throat> Truth is one and eternal. Realize it, oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. A case might be made for surrender as a path to victory in worldly conflicts. The way of passive resistance, for example, in preference to armed resistance. But our point here concerns a higher kind of surrender. The surrender of our, of our deluded egoic will to the wise and almighty will of God. Human will is, as Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, guided by whims and limited understanding. The divine will is in harmony with every level of reality. Though the divine will sometimes appears to us at first to be wrong, it proves always, eventually, to be for our highest good. Human will is inconsistent. It leads us one day to success, another to disaster. The divine will, when we surrender to it, to, when we surrender to it completely, though it is not always easy to do, always brings us deep inner peace and joy in the end. Jesus Christ demonstrated this perfect surrender to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was captured and imprisoned, preparatory to his crucifixion. He went apart from the others to pray, pray and asked them to pray also. But when he returned to them, he found them asleep. Out of his love for them, he excused them, saying, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He then urged them again, saying, Watch and pray. Their weakness in those circumstances was particularly sad, and the disciples themselves must have regretted it bitterly later on. We all know the symptoms of human weakness, though we may excuse them in ourselves, saying, well, after all, I'm only human. But what are the signs of true strength? We find in all cases that these are the fruit of a life wholly surrendered to God. The Bhagavad Gita lists these signs in the 13th chapter. Humbleness truthfulness and harmlessness, patience and honor, reverence for the wise, purity, constancy, control of self, contempt for sense delights, self-sacrifice, perception of the certainty of ill 
in birth, old age, frail mortality, disease, the ego's suffering, and sin. Detachment, lightly holding thoughts of home, children, and wife, those ties which bind most men. An ever-tranquil heart, heedless of good or adverse fortune, with the will upraised to worship me alone, unceasingly. Loving deep solitude and shunning noise of foolish crowds. Calm focus on the self perceived within and in infinity. These qualities reveal true wisdom, Prince. All that is otherwise is ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity, uh, Mystical Poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. <clears throat> Spiritualize all our thoughts and ambitions. O infinite alchemist, spiritualize our weaknesses into strength and our wrong thoughts into right thoughts. Grow thou a flower of divine understanding from every seed of activity. With a magic wand of foresight given by thee, teach us to transmute the ugly imps of selfish ambition into fairies of all-serving noble aspirations. Train, Lord, each stallion of desire to become a champion racing for thine abode. Transform our base ignorance into the gold of wisdom, that it become a liquid stream, a spiritual gold rushing steadily to thy shore. Some years ago, uh, there was a, a young Brazilian woman uh, that uh, she had just arrived at Ananda village and she was camped in the, the meadow. And in the middle of the night, Master appeared to her in her tent. Uh, and uh, she, um, uh, he just said that one word to her and she took that word to heart. And about a year later, I was visiting her university where she's in a graduate program. And I, uh, I didn't know about her dream with Master, but I just watched her in action uh, because she was so giving, so loving, and the, the uh, professors in her department and her uh, fellow uh, colleagues and the uh, graduate students, they all spoke so highly of her, how uh, much she gave to each other people, and, uh, and uh, they were just inspired by her energy. And then she told me, um, I asked her how it had gone from her, uh, her time now at graduate school after being at Ananda and uh, trying to um, live the yogic path, and she, that's when she told me about her dream with Master. And you know, the one word that Master said to her was, give. And Swami Kriyananda talks about, actually, we shouldn't live at Ananda, but we should give at Ananda. And in his book on discipleship, he, he says that 
uh, when we give, we become more on the wavelength, more attuned to God, because that's who God is. He's all giving. And we become more godlike when we have that quality. <clears throat> but sometimes we think that we need to have the right environment to grow spiritually. And that things have to be just so, so. And that's because we happen, could be, uh, in our likes and dislikes. We have preferences. And uh, there was a fire, as many of you know, in 1976. It wasn't our first fire uh, or our last fire. Uh, and, uh, uh, and virtually the whole community burned down. And I was just my first year at Ananda. And a lot of us went to the rice fields. I had uh, grown up just oh, about an hour away uh, uh, from that region. And uh, we went to earn money, uh, uh, pay our membership, and uh, give money to the community. Uh, and so uh, we went down there, and uh, my job started a little bit first. There were some people in the room. Uh, Benai uh, was there, and Haridas, and Parvati, and Kirtani, and uh, was Arti there too? No. No, okay. Uh, but anyway, many other people went. And my um, first day, uh, I was actually, my job started early, and I grew up in the area. And in high school, we would do harvest jobs, and we called it summertime blues, because all of a sudden, your life wasn't your own anymore. <laughs> you would work 12, 14 hours a day, and uh, that's all you would do. And, you know, from being a free high school student, uh, that was an intense regime. Well, my first day at the rice dryer was 18 hours. And uh, Swami at that time was giving Sunday service. He'd been away, so uh, we hadn't seen much of him. Uh, and, and then Swami started meditating with the monks uh, and doing, in the afternoon, doing energization with them and uh, having meditation. And he had never done that before. And I was new to the monastery. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm missing out. And uh, he, you know, he's doing all this thing, and I'm stuck in this job. And, uh, my, my first day on the job, I, there were so many buttons, I was running the, the, the flow of the rice through the, uh, the dryers. It was a big, really big complex. And um, we were getting everything ready for the season. And I pushed a button, and I realized, that's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> that one goes out to the out, uh, spout. Uh, it wasn't to the bin inside. And so I ran out of the building, and there was this uh, farmer who had one of the largest ranches, rice ranches in the region, and the owner of the rice dryer there standing underneath the spout. <laughs> and it hadn't been used in a long time. There was a lot of dust, and it just got covered up with dust. <laughs> so anyway, there was amusing aspects to the job. <laughs> but back to me feeling sorry for myself. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, um, you know, it was a dumpy apartment, and no one else had been there yet, and, uh, and I was sort of ruining my fate. And then I sort of assessed how I was feeling, and I was feeling so blissful, like I was floating on air. Uh, not literally, but um, there was just this, a feeling of exhilaration. And I realized that I was included too. And, and I, I learned a very, very important lesson that the situation doesn't have to be right. We think God should do, organize our life in this way, and if he did, oh boy, we would really uh, be able to really make hay and, and progress. No, no, it's, it's that how much are we uh, giving? That's, 
that's what makes us in tune with Swami's energy, uh, Swami Kriyananda's energy, and uh, all our masters' energy. And, and that's, that's the key. I mean, Ananda isn't a place. It's a consciousness. And that's what we, we tune into. Jyotish was talking about the whole spiritual path really comes down to aligning our self-will with the will of God as expressed to the guru. And uh, in, in I think it was 1979, Anandi said that was the year. Uh, Swami uh, would teach Spiritual New Week, and he virtually did everything. And as part of Spiritual New Week uh, at the village, uh, he, uh, there was prepared by community members uh, this multimedia presentation uh, on an aspect of Ananda. Uh, well, Swami, um, was very busy that week teaching classes, but he had a chance to look at the presentation, and he realized that it needed to be greatly improved. Uh, and so um, uh, Anandi and Swami and uh, Asha, they all went to town where there was uh, good electricity, uh, and uh, they started to prepare uh, this program, and Swami rewrote the script, and uh, uh, chose new slides and maybe some new music. And as Swami started to see how big the job was, because it actually took those members two months to get the presentation ready, and they had only that night, and Swami had to teach the morning class the next day. It was very interesting for Anandi to watch Swami Kriyananda's energy, because all of a sudden he just realized, realizing how big the job was, he just up his level of energy without any tension whatsoever. And then they all worked on the project. And then eventually, late in the night, Swami left in order to get some sleep and be able to meditate before the class. And Anandi, who has many, many talents, uh, but typing isn't one of them, uh, <laughs> in, in terms of she could type and without mistakes, uh, but she's not a fast typist, uh, let's say that. And, but she found herself and she had to type up the, the manuscript, uh, or, uh, and she was just flying. And she was, I don't know if it was two or 2.78 times as fast as she could type, but she was just really uh, going fast. Uh, she was amazed, but she knew uh, that it wasn't her, it was God flowing through her. And they, they spent the whole night working on the presentation, and then uh, uh, came uh, to the morning class without, uh, you know, uh, coming to their home. And everybody said uh, afterwards, oh, poor girls, you didn't get any sleep at all last night. And Swami said, don't say that. It was their honor and their blessing to serve. And they just felt this exhilaration of energy. And when do we feel that exhilaration of energy? Uh, when there's no thought of self, isn't there? When we just get into the flow of just giving uh, to other people. You know, I was thinking that the best way to turn our will into God's will is through love. Because a grateful heart uh, just wants to give. It's the nature of bliss, to share. And, uh, and so devotion and, you know, attunement, God contact with God through meditation is really, really important. Uh, but uh, there are ways we have to work on it. As one great saint said, the, uh, the, the, the spiritual path combines two things, embracing the large self 
and denying the small self. And that's where giving up our self-will is so important. You know, it was so beautiful to observe Swami Kriyananda in his life here. Uh, we've seen him on the, uh, the, his videos if we uh, didn't know, know him when he was uh, in the body. Uh, because his whole life was on that level. He, um, he said that uh, he didn't know when his thoughts ended and Yogananda's thoughts began. And Swami had that experience very strongly. He said it was a pivotal moment in his discipleship when he was writing the book, Essence of Self-Realization. Uh, uh, Swami had had notes that he'd recorded from Master speaking. Master always wanted him to write down the things he said. Sometimes he would uh, stop in conversation and say, write that down, uh, he called him, uh, Walter. Um, uh, I've never said that before. And sometimes it was hard for somebody to keep track because he didn't know shorthand, but he could always remember Yogananda's voice in saying those words. Well, when it came time to uh, put these notes into a book, uh, Swami knew that uh, he, there was a lot of, uh, he had to probably write a lot of commentary or, or fill in a lot of concepts in order to have a, a flow among the, the words that Ma Master had written. And, but he found that that wasn't the case at all. Uh, Yogananda just was just flowing through him. Uh, there might be a point where uh, uh, there needed to be a bridge, and Swami said in the meditation, uh, he could hear Yogananda's voice, not from 40 years ago, but in the present moment. And Yogananda would tell him what he needed to know. And sometimes Yogananda spoke a little too fast. And so Swami would say, uh, could you say that again, sir? And he would say it again. Uh, and, uh, and that book just flowed uh, without an outline and everything. And that came through attunement. Uh, Yogananda said that the secret of genius is to contact the causal world. Well, the causal world is Om, the thought body, the field of blue and the spiritual eye. Well, Swami was immersed in Om, and, uh, and that was his secret to uh, that inspiration. He had that perfect attunement uh, with uh, Yogananda. Now, uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, how uh, Swami has talked about the energy of a master, you know, as we have learned in the science of yoga, in the medulla oblongata, the base of the brain, cosmic energy comes in here, and in a master, it flows to the spiritual eye, and just straight to spirit. So uh, a great master's actions are perfectly attuned to spirit. There's just a whole flow. Uh, through and into that spiritual eye. Uh, in the worldly person, that energy comes in and then down the spine and out through the chakras, and that energy going out in the world draws our mind outward uh, into materialistic thought, into duality, where every force has opposing force. That's why it's hard to get anything done on the physical plane. So when you turn into the level of spirit, you get beyond that pushing of energy and that opposite of energy, you're just aligned with spirit. And that's why it's so important to tune our will with the divine will. Because when we do that, that's when miracles happen. Uh, they are, they're miracles to us because it's not our ordinary um, uh, experience. 
but it's just perfectly ordinary to the saints. Uh, it's just that there's more subtle laws in play. And so uh, we, um, you know, it, it really, it, it comes down to just getting out of our self-will into the divine will, uh, which is a challenge. It doesn't come all at once. There's a, a computer model where usually a computer through logic just makes incremental changes. And they realize in the program that they need to give shocks to the system uh, in order to startle the system and help it to see things in a different way. Uh, Swami Kriyananda said that uh, karma is a blessing of divine love. And that's because we have a chance to learn and experience and start to really feel more that God's the doer. Swami came in free. Uh, I don't know exactly if he's, he, he said he was liberated in this life. Uh, but by the time he came to master, his will was so perfectly united with Yogananda's will uh, in just terms of all his actions and service. And we were so blessed to be able to see that uh, consciousness in action and be uh, inspired by it. But I want to tell a story of a, a, a Pennsylvania um, a Jesuit priest who um, went through this process and uh, learned how to turn his will into divine will. And it'll be probably a bit more helpful for us because that's probably more, maybe more where we are than with Swami Kriyananda, where, where he started. Uh, well, th this um, young priest, he was actually a when he was growing up, and liked to get in fights and, uh, and that, and then in eighth grade he decided to become a, uh, become a priest. And uh, his father was quite startled by this, and he became a priest, and he decided the, uh, to go to Russia. There was a missionary work there. And his family, ethnic, uh, family was Polish, and so he went. And uh, he arrived in 39, and, um, uh, and he thought with the war uh, and the refugees going east, uh, he could go into Russia and he could do his missionary work there. And then he was caught uh, by the Russians. They found out he was a priest. And they convicted him of being a, a, a spy uh, for the Vatican. And they put him five years into the, uh, the famous prison in Moscow. I'm not sure how you say it. Lubyak and, excuse me? Okay, that's it. <laughs> I didn't quite hear, but I'm sure you're right. Um, so anyway, he was there and he was tortured uh, often during that time. Uh, and then uh, afterwards, uh, he was sent to hard labor uh, for many more years, uh, and over 15 years, and he spent actually 24 years uh, in, in Russia, uh, confined in one way or another. And uh, he, um, all of a sudden their lives are just totally different, the other priests of them as political prisoners, and they had no control over their, uh, their lives, um, and they had this whole image of what they were going to do as young priests. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't how they envisioned it. And, uh, and, and, but over time, his whole purpose in life was just to do God's will. Not 
uh, the will that they thought God ought to will for them so they could be better priests. Um, but he'd start to see in every moment um, the will of God. And he says it's actually very simple uh, because what God presents to us in the people and in the situations uh, is exactly what God uh, wants for us. Uh, but we put other motives or, uh, you know, think beyond that to all this other stuff. If we just paid attention to just being in the moment and just dealing with uh, what's right in front of us, Swami Kriyananda talks so much about the importance of just accepting uh, what is. And Yogananda, uh, he said that when you're in the present moment, you have God. It's our likes and dislikes that put us into the past or into the future. Uh, but when we calm the waves of feeling, that's the whole definition of yoga. And so uh, that's why it's just so, so important uh, to, to, to accept that. And that's what the priests were doing. And he, he, he's spoken the we because everybody was in the same boat, uh, the, the priests and, and the prisoners. And he's, uh, I'd like to read something that he said that was just so inspiring. Uh, well, actually, a couple things. How, how did he overcome his self-will? Well, with acceptance of what came to him, uh, getting rid of any thought of self-seeking. Instead of praying for more bread, he actually lived on bread for 24 years and a little bit of soup and uh, worked in 50 degree below zero weather in the winter and didn't have enough clothes, and he wasn't ill for one day of those 24 years. Um, well, anyway, he, um, but, but he, he just, instead of praying for more bread, he just started praying for those who were suffering uh, throughout Russia, through the world, in agony. And he just, as the Jesuits said, became a man for others. And he took all sense of self out of the picture. He said, anytime we got into any problem at all, it was because we had a sense of self in the situation. But once we removed it, uh, then there wasn't a problem. And uh, he wrote uh, these words. Uh, he said, by renouncing finally and completely all control of my life and future destiny, I was relieved of all responsibility. I was freed thereby from anxiety and worry, from every tension, and could float serenely upon the tide of God's sustaining providence in perfect peace of soul. We think, well, you know, that's a, it's a really, he expressed it very, very beautifully, but he also lived it very beautifully. Uh, he, um, during this time that he wrote these words, he was uh, being courted by the interrogator uh, to uh, go to Russia, I mean back to the Vatican, and be a liaison with the communists and the Vatican. And he, they were torturing him all the time, and he was in solitary confinement. And, um, uh, and, but he just was just totally even about the possibility of escaping the prison and going to Rome. He just, just felt like whatever God wants, will do. And, uh, but then it came to be where they wanted him to be a communist spy in the Vatican, and he couldn't go along with that. 
And so uh, he said, no, he wouldn't agree, sign the agreement. And that's when the interrogator said that we're going to execute you now if you don't sign this. And so uh, he called the guards and the guards surrounded him and they were taking him down the hallway and he didn't really know if uh, he was going to his execution or not. But he said he was perfectly at peace and just had absolute trust in God that whatever happened would be uh, for his design and through his providence. And he felt each of the guards around him as ministers for God's grace. They were like almost angels just walking with him. And then later he found out it wasn't his uh, time to go before the firing squad. Uh, and, uh, and then they had sent him to hard labor for, you know, say probably 19 years and that. Uh, but he just had that perfect freedom. And that's, that's what happens. Uh, I mean, this is something that's a goal that we're all trying to strive for and to get more perfect in. And we have moments, I'm sure I know, um, because the whole community here has been built on the dedication and devotion of all our members. Uh, and so we have that current flowing through our life. Uh, but as this priest said, um, that it has, has to be total. And God would root out every little sense of self uh, because he wanted to free him of that. And isn't that what the whole path is about? And isn't that what all our karmic lessons are about? Is just to free us totally so that our will becomes more and more aligned with God's will. And then our, all our energy then reflects our soul and uh, as a child of God. And our, our, our whole life is then streaming uh, towards the infinite uh, as... Um, I forget, uh, was it Lahiri Mahashai said that uh, in the beginning the, the path is a lot of hard work and then it becomes effortlessly, effortlessly liberating. And, uh, and, and, and a large part of that is just our will is just perfectly attuned to God and we uh, jump into that stream of just flowing grace that is bringing us deeper and deeper uh, into the infinite. Bless us all. Thank mm -hmm. you.